Take the road up through the mystic mountains, past the fantastic fishing fields and fountains. Three days through the titan woods, whose trees glare down through leafy hoods. Crawl in the darkness of the biting caves, it's more dangerous the other ways. Then finally find yourself later, or sooner, in the hidden valley town, Ben Luna. Lillian reeled back in surprise. She was stood at the edge of a cliff shelf on the side of Ben Luna Mountain, so she was conscious of not stepping back too far. Her cheeks stung from having been slapped hard by Mr. Attercop, who was still stood brazenly in front of her, holding his hands up and close to his chest. Lillian tried to speak through her shock. What are you doing? That hurt! The pain and humiliation she felt at being slapped by someone she considered a friend was causing anger to boil up inside of her. She could feel her face redden. We are up here to train you in the arts of self-defence, said Mr. Atkop, as though that was answering her question. So? shouted Lillian. So? Defend yourself. Mr. Atkop pulled his hand backwards like he was preparing for another strike. Lillian flung her hands up in front of her and swung her head to the side in a desperate flinch. Stop. Don't move. Mr. Atacop lowered his hands and stepped forward. Lillian tensed up, but watched as he approached. Look, here. Your fingers are spread wide. That's bad. He pushed Lillian's fingers together so that her hands were open and curved. If I can grab one finger, then I can break it just as easily. Keep your fingers closed and focus on knocking my hands away. Now your head. He reached past Lillian's outstretched arms and tilted her head back so that she was facing him directly. You turn away and you lose sight of your opponent. Face them, always, and keep your eyes open, even if you get hit. Blinking only takes a moment, but a moment is all some people need to get past your defences. Now, step forward to the centre, here. Mr. Atkop led her to the centre of the circular shelf. It was a misty and damp day, so the stones below her feet were wet and slippery. As they walked, Atkop continued. Your surroundings are your biggest asset in any combat. See these stones? They're sharp and they're plentiful. You could easily reach down and grab a handful to throw. The edge of the cliff back there? That's the edge of a fight. The end of a life as well. Always try and position yourself on the other side of your opponent to the most dangerous thing in the arena. Lillian was taking as much information in as possible, all the while keeping an eye on Mr. Atkop, should he decide to try and slap her again. When she reached the centre of the circle, Atacop turned towards her. What else might you use to your advantage right now? Lillian thought and looked around for a moment. The shelf was empty except for stones, and where normally she might be able to see further, the mist was obscuring her vision. This triggered a thought. The fog? she proffered. Mainly because it was the only thing she could see. Good, replied Atacop. If you ran into the mist, your attacker might lose sight of you. Running is always an option in any fight. You and I are outmatched, so your best bet would be to use the mist and your speed to your advantage. Lillian was confused. Is this really how she was supposed to defend herself against assassins? By running away? Atacop must have read her expression. 
The answer to the question you want to ask is yes. Running away is the best defense available. It creates distance between you and your attacker. It ends the fight and no one is harmed. What I want to teach you today and over the coming weeks is what to do if running away is not an option. Do you understand? Yes, Lillian nodded. So what do you do if you think someone wants to hurt you? I run away. Excellent. You're a fast learner, Miss Lausanne. Now put your hands up. I'm going to attempt to slap your other cheek. For the next few hours, Lillian batted away wave after wave of slaps, punches and kicks. She didn't always succeed and so felt her cheeks and arms beginning to sting from the relentless onslaught. Her arms were getting heavy with exhaustion and she was so focused on avoiding every attack that she didn't notice the time slip by. Mr Atticop, on the other hand, did not seem to be tiring. He would surprise Lillian with attack after attack and each time she failed to defend herself correctly, he would calmly explain where she was going wrong and then repeat the move until she had mastered the correct defence. But Lillian noticed that the water droplets forming in his beard and on his bald head were not sweat, but just mist clinging to skin. Before the midday sun was all the way above them, the two sat to rest. Mr Atticott passed Lillian a skin of fresh water from which she drank deeply. As the two sat in silence, admiring the mist around them, Lillian felt the surge of questions once again well up inside her. She was not normally an inquisitive person, but Mr Atticott was always so full of surprises, she felt herself constantly wanting to ask how he knew things, where he'd come from and what he was doing. She wanted to ask about the Fane Hound, about the assassin, about where he'd learned to fight, but Mr Atticott was normally so quiet and reserved, she felt like asking him a personal question would be some kind of invasion of privacy. She had just spent the morning being assaulted, though, so Lillian thought he might owe her at least one answer. Mr Atticop? She spoke up in a soft voice, trying to sound casual. Atticop turned his head to listen. If you don't mind me asking, what exactly is it you do? For, for a job, I mean. It's just that my mum was asking and I thought... Lillian trailed off chastising herself for hiding behind her mother as an excuse for her own curiosity. Atacop's expression remained fixed, but he turned his head to gaze out to the edge of the cliff. He seemed deep in thought. Finally, he said, Do you remember the conversation you heard me having in the town square on the day of my arrival? Lillian did remember. She thought about telling him about her encounter with the man in orange, but instead just nodded her head. Atacop continued, That man lives in the city, in Fridos. He works in the court of Empress Sylvia as part of her justice system. His role in the court is to judge those accused of crimes and sentence them appropriately. He also decides which cases should be brought to the attention of the Empress. He is a powerful man with much influence in the court. The day you saw us talking in the square, he was complaining about rheumatism when in fact he had gout. I saw an opportunity to ingratiate myself with him by supplying him with a remedy of my own design I know fixes most ailments, including gout. Do you remember what I said when he asked what he owed me for the remedy? Lillian thought back. She didn't remember any money changing hands. Didn't you just say you wanted to see him? back in the city. That's right, said Atacop. So you didn't ask for payment, Lillian wondered aloud. 
No, Miss Lausanne. The chance to have an appointment set for any time I wish with a powerful man who owes me a favour. That was the payment I was seeking. I don't really have a job in the traditional sense, but I make it my business to deal in power and influence. Someone might come to me and say that they want their son to be a general in the army. I might pull strings, call in favours, and hold meetings until I can get their son in the most prestigious officer training school, where they will be on a fast track to becoming a general in a matter of years. I ask for payment up front, that covers my lifestyle expenses and my research, and within five years I have a general in the state's army who owes their entire career to me. Atacop upended the water skin and finished the last drop. Lillian was unsure what to make of this explanation. She furrowed her brow and asked, So you work for the state? At this, Atacop snapped his head back to look at her. No, he said sharply. I do not work for anyone. I have no political affiliation. I hold no guiding principles. If I meet a young lord who supports the Empress, I shall dress my room in her colours. If I have a favour asked of me from a woman who would see the Empress perish, I shall inform her where to buy the best blades. This is how I always remain ahead. Hold on, said Lillian. So, if someone hears that you're working for the other side and accuses you, what do you do then? At this, Mr. Atkop smiled widely and stood up. He held a hand out to Lillian to help her up, whilst maintaining the largest and most charming grin Lillian had ever seen. Young lady, he said, overly sycophantic and far too sweetly. Your enemies will say anything to impede your progress. Lillian took his hand and stood up. She smiled at the remark. And people fall for that, do they? she said remembering her own attempts to manipulate classmates into passing the blame onto someone else. Oh, usually, yes. The key is to make yourself indispensable. If someone truly believes you are their only key to achieving their goals, they will believe you because they want to believe you. The two started making their way towards the mountain path. Lillian was pleased she was getting so much information out of Mr. Atacop. She let him speak, rather than trying her luck with more questions. When the pair reached the path back to Ben Luna, Atacop turned to Lillian with a more serious expression on his face. I trust you understand that my role in Fridos and my methods are to be kept a secret. I don't wish to burden you with such a weight. It's just that my life runs smoother if my methods are kept private. Lillian smiled and nodded. Yes, of course. She then felt a pang of guilt as she remembered her interaction with the man in orange and his friends. She explained what had happened, and Mr. Atacop thankfully smiled. Oh, don't worry about that. Those silly courtiers love nothing more than to gossip. I'm sure my taking on of a protégé has got them stirred up more than a rabbit in a carrot farm. In Friedos, I'm relatively well known, but seeing as my work is based on reputation, I like to control that where I can. Lillian was about to ask how one might go about organising their own reputation when Mr. Atacop froze and put his hand out to stop her. Lillian looked up to see him staring straight ahead at where the path disappeared into the mist. Lillian held her breath. Suddenly, Mr. Atacop looked around sharply at the edges of the path. His eyes fell on a bush a little way off into the trees. He pushed Lillian towards it with urgency. 
She almost slipped on the damp leaves as she sped round a gnarled oak tree and ducked quickly behind the bush. Mr. Atticop dropped to the floor completely, being too tall to be able to crouch and not be seen from the path. The pair waited for some time. Lillian noticed a spider crawl across her foot. Normally she would have batted it away, but she didn't want to make a single sound. She only hoped that the spider did not crawl up her trouser leg. Just then, through the smallest gap in the leaves, Lillian noticed movement coming from the mountain path. She froze and forgot all about spiders or insects on the forest floor. She wanted to see who was moving up ahead, but the leaves were obscuring her sight. She tried silently to move her head to the left so that she could see more of the path. Luckily, the leaves here were slightly further apart so she could actually see what was happening up ahead. The movement had ceased, but Lillian could now see who it was that had made Mr. Atacop so nervous. The person on the path was tall and wore a dark hood obscuring their face. Lillian breathed in sharply and felt a sudden, silent hand cover her mouth. Atacop had caught her shock in time and was staring intently at the stranger. The assassin from the day before was standing a stone's throw away from them and was now bending down to look at footprints in the soil. Lillian looked at Mr. Atacop as he slowly took his hand off her mouth. To her surprise, he closed his eyes and took a deep breath. Lillian's heart was beating quickly and she couldn't understand why Mr. Atacop was so calm. She looked back towards the path and saw that the stranger was looking in their direction. She wanted to shout again, but noticed that their gaze went over the bush and off into the forest behind them. They looked back towards the path, seemingly undecided as to which route to take. Lillian's heart leapt into her throat as she watched the stranger take a slow step off the path and towards their hiding spot. Mr. Atticop was still calm next to her, his eyes closed as if deep in thought. Upon the second step towards them, Lillian noticed something strange. The mist around them seemed to be thickening. With each step the stranger took, Lillian found it harder and harder to see them. After only eight or nine steps, the fog was so thick she could not even see her own fingers on the forest floor. Having lost the use of her sight, Lillian listened intently. She could hear soft footsteps up ahead. She could hear her own heartbeat. And when she finally gave up on seeing entirely and closed her eyes, she could even hear the stranger's breath whistling through the cloth pulled up over their face. All she could do was focus on controlling her breathing so as not to make a sound. Finally, after what seemed like an hour, but was probably just a few seconds, she heard the stranger's footsteps head back towards the path and away from them. She opened her eyes, but the thick mist still hung around them, making it difficult to even see an arm's length in front of her. While she waited for instructions, Mr. Atticop slowly came back into focus through the fog. He motioned her to stand up quietly and led her back round the oak tree and back onto the mountain path. They said nothing as they sped towards Ben Luna, the fog slowly clearing as they went. Lillian couldn't believe how lucky they had been for the fog to thicken when it did, but as they reached the Torreson house near the town square, she wondered if it had been anything to do with luck at all. 
Still saying nothing, Attercop led her into the Torrison house, past Mr. Stepson, who was snoozing on an armchair in the hallway, and all the way up into the towel room. Lillian could tell that he was distracted, maybe even angry. When they emerged through the floor of Attercop's chambers, Lillian saw that the mess from yesterday's intrusion had been cleared, but the window was still not fixed. There was a side table placed in front of it, however, on top of which was a wire structure that looked like what you would put a kettle on to hold it in place over a fire. This was much smaller, though, and instead of a kettle, Lillian could see a vial of lunar essence suspended by the wire frame with its cap open. Out from the bottle and through the broken window came a steady stream of thick mist. Lillian approached it in amazement. The bright liquid inside the vial was half empty, but as Lillian watched, she didn't notice the essence depleting. Mr. Attercop was busily hunting through his drawers and bags, looking for something. After opening the second trunk under his bed, he paused and looked at Lillian. Miss Lausanne, it seems as though our work is being impeded, would you agree? Lillian nodded. That was the same person as yesterday, wasn't it? She asked. I assume so. Although, not having seen their face, I can't be sure. We must not presume there to be only one. But for now, it seems as though they are persistent in their task. Mr. Attercop, said Lillian cautiously, why is someone trying to hurt you? Didn't you say you help people? Lillian's voice cracked as she spoke. She'd been wanting to ask this ever since the attack yesterday, and realised that Atacop's answer would influence her decision to work with him. Mr. Atacop stopped rummaging through his belongings and looked up. He was looking at Lillian with a stony expression. He walked over to where she was standing beside the flowing mist and knelt down in front of her. I do help people, Lillian. I help whenever and wherever I can. But not... Everyone agrees with the people I choose to help. Some people might see me helping someone they don't like and assume I am to blame for their suffering or ill-treatment. They might hate me so much that they hire a hooded fool to climb towers and punch through windows. Lillian felt unsure. All she knew was that Mr. Atacop, aside from a surprise slap, had been kind to her, and kind to her parents as well. She felt as though she trusted him, and so couldn't conceive of why someone would want to hurt him. She reminded herself then that she had known this man for less than a week. She felt as though her next question would help her make up her mind. So, who do you think hired them, and why? Are they bad people? Mr. Atticop stood up and turned his attention to the whole room. He scanned every inch of it whilst answering distractedly. First of all, I would try and avoid concepts such as good and bad when talking about people. Why? asked Lillian. Because everyone thinks they are good, and all good actions might have bad consequences. Such is the nature of things. There is no good or bad. There is only people's interpretation of events. He had begun looking through cupboards now, frantically opening and closing anything he couldn't see inside. I don't understand... Lillian was becoming confused, and she knew that as soon as Atacop found what he was looking for, the conversation would be over. If you hurt someone, that's bad, she said decidedly. Ah, yes, I would agree with you. But if I hadn't hurt our hooded friend yesterday, they might have hurt you. So, would you say that hurting them was good? Mr. Atacop was now checking coat pockets. 
You could have asked him to stop. You didn't have to hurt him. Lillian almost shouted. Her raised voice caused Mr. Atcock to pause and look at her. I was not ready to take that chance, Lillian. I have been known to gamble, but I will never, ever take a risk when it comes to your safety. Do you understand? Lillian nodded. After witnessing everything this man could do, she realised that she might just be in the safest room in Ben Luna. Lillian looked at her feet and pouted. I wish no one wanted to hurt anyone else. A noble pursuit, replied Atkop. I think the key is just to cause the least amount of suffering possible, whilst simultaneously coming to terms with the fact that any action will undoubtedly cause suffering of some kind. Aha! Atkop yelped in delight. His hand was in a side pocket of a satchel that was currently hanging on the back of his desk chair. He pulled his arm back to reveal a small white stone, roughly the size of an egg. Is that chalk? asked Lillian, unimpressed by the discovery. Very good, Miss Lausanne. You are correct. But this is not just any chalk that you might pick up whilst wandering the coast of Zant. No, no. You remember whether you asked me if I was practising witchcraft? Lillian nodded. Well, were I to practise witchcraft, then this is what I would use to do it. This and a lot of chanting, as I said before. What are you going to do with it? Lillian held out her hand to take the chalk, and Atacop gave it to her as he breezed past to go and pick up some papers from the sideboard. It felt strangely heavy in Lillian's hand, and when she looked closely at it, she saw that it was littered with small streaks that shone when they caught the light, like tiny veins made of topaz. Well, it seems as though our strange friend is determined on carrying out their mission, no matter the cost. So, instead of avoiding them, hiding in bushes and weaving detection mist, I think we should practice our art. Lillian watched as Atacop snatched the vial of essence by the window with his free hand. Almost immediately, the cloud of fog bursting out of it started to go in reverse. The mist that had covered Ben Luna all morning was being supped back into the little vial at an alarming speed. When the view was as clear as the day before, Atacop shut the cap with a click and went about his business as if nothing had happened. Lillian had to remind herself to blink as her eyes, wide in amazement, were beginning to dry out. Atkop whipped the vial back into his sleeve and turned to Lillian. Tomorrow morning, we reverse the roles. I'm supposed to be teaching you about the art of power. Well, I don't like being hunted like a feeble rabbit, do you? Of course not. So, what do we do when the wolves are at our doorstep? He grabbed the chalk from Lillian and held it in front of his eyes. They were alight with a mad kind of excitement. Lillian wasn't sure if she was supposed to answer the question. We shut the door? Atacop glanced down at her. We set the traps. That evening, Lillian was sat in the Fox and Octopus with Kilda drinking a large glass of Xander's famous blackberry fire, an extremely sour and fizzy drink that Lillian loved. Her parents were sat with friends at a table near the beer taps, and Lillian was chatting with Kilda in one of the booths. She had left Mr. Atacop to prepare his harebrained scheme, and, as she had promised, had spent the rest of the afternoon looking for any more signs of the hound with Kilda. Unfortunately, they had had no luck, and were now discussing tactics over a quiet, non-alcoholic drink. 
The rest of the inn was populated with several Benluna locals, as well as Zander and Lini, of course, who were busy serving a small group of city folk. Are we going about this in the best way? Kilda was almost whispering, not wanting to be overheard, lest anyone should steal the hunt for themselves. What do you mean? said Lillian. Well, I'm not sure just going out and about and looking for it's going to work, like today. We went back to the river, up and round the back of your house, and then through the woods to town, right? Lillian nodded, scrunching her face up from the sourness of her drink. Well, if we do a different part of town tomorrow, then the Fanehound might be where we search today. And, you know, you could look all over the place and never find it. Lillian didn't want to spoil the fun by saying that the most likely scenario was that the Fanehound had moved on from Ben Luna completely. Instead, she asked, So? What do you suggest? Kilda thought for a minute before replying. Lillian looked around the inn and felt a wave of tiredness wash over her. Her body was beginning to ache from that morning's fight practice. I think... I think we need to know more about it. Once we know what it eats and, you know, what it wants, we can put ourselves next to that and, and then we just wait. Lillian didn't much like the sound of waiting around for something that might never show up but she admitted that that probably was the best bet. She scanned the crowd in the inn. So, who do you think knows about Fanehounds in Ben Luna? You still haven't asked what's-his-face? Smattershop? Attercop. That's the one. Lillian grinned. Kilda definitely knew his name. No, I haven't. He's... I don't know. He's always busy with something or other. Never feels like the right time. Well... Kilda caught her eye and jerked his head backwards. There's always... Lillian shifted her weight on her chair so that she could look behind him. In the corner of the inn, sat alone except for his dog, was Orton, the town trapper. His big brown beard flecked with grey hairs was damp where it had been dipped in beer. He was not talking to anyone. He just stared into his flagon and occasionally took a sip. Lillian sighed deeply and picked up her drink. Kilda beamed and stood up. They both walked over to Orton's table. They weren't halfway over when Orton's dog, Silky, looked up. Silky was a huge animal. Her eyes drooped and her slobbery cheeks wobbled as she glanced up to greet the two young people coming over. If she had stood on her hind legs at that moment, she would have been able to put her paws on Lillian's shoulders. But instead, she just started wagging her tail. Kilda, a big fan of dogs, bent down to scratch her ears whilst Lillian shifted into the bench opposite Orton. From this distance, he reminded Lillian of a bear or some forgotten forest creature that was merely posing as a man. He said nothing at their approach, but instead fixed Lillian with a silent stare. No smile behind the beard and no frown beyond the eyebrows. Lillian didn't flinch. We'd like to ask you something. Lillian congratulated herself on her unwavering tone. She waited for some kind of reply, but Orton offered none. Lillian took this as a sign to continue, only now she lowered her voice so as not to be overheard. We know you know a lot about animals, and we were wondering... Lillian faltered. Was she going to be laughed at, or would her question make this bear man angry? Despite her doubts, she continued. We were wondering if you could tell us about Fane hounds. Kilda and Lillian waited with bated breath. Orton 
looked at them both, one and then the other. When he spoke, tiny drops of beer flew from his beard and onto the table in front of him. What do you want to know? His voice was coarse from years of straining through pipe smoke. Lillian looked at Kilda. She hadn't actually planned this far ahead. Well, what are they? she said. Orton took a deep breath and looked from side to side, weighing his words before choosing the right ones. Fainhound, they are dangerous. Lillian waited, hoping her silence would prompt more information. After another sip, Orton continued. I've never seen one, but sometimes you find deer in the mountain with claw scratches like a lion. Only, there's no lions in this country, so we say it's Fainhound. But really, this could mean anything. It's like... Orton looked around the inn, as if trying to find inspiration for a story. Like finding a burnt tree and saying there was a dragon. It's fun to say dragon, but it's more likely to be lightning. At this, Kilda spoke up for the first time since joining them at the table. So, they're not real? Lillian detected a hint of sadness in his tone. Orton looked at him as if he'd only just noticed him sitting there. Mm, not sure. What do you mean? said Kilda. Well, something is killing those deer. It's not me. It's not wolves and it's not lion. Lillian and Kilda sat in silence for a time. Both of their imaginations were running wild. Orton didn't seem to mind the questions or the silence, and Lillian paused to wonder at what an odd group they must look like. Finally, Kilda spoke up. I have a question. Orton and Lillian turned to him expectantly. If you saw something that you thought was a fane hound, what would that thing look like? At this, Orton thought long and hard. At least, that's what it looked like. Lillian did wonder if the amount of beer he drunk wasn't just slowing him down a bit. Well, like I say, I've never seen one. But my father told me a story about one when I was young, like you. Kilda's eyes were as wide as dinner plates. Can we hear the story? he asked. Orton thought for a second. He shifted his weight in his chair creaking the leather of his many belts and straps. To their right, Lini threw another log on the fire, and the sparks reflected brightly in the grizzled man's eyes. For the first time, he smiled as he cast his mind back to his childhood. I can tell you, he said softly, but you must promise one thing. What? said Lillian. To listen. Hello. Thank you for listening to episode five. As ever, I have been Simon Mader. The incredible music was by Tom Figgins. Do please support Tom if you can by listening to his own original music, which is amazing. 
You can find him on Spotify or YouTube. All the links are on our website or social media at Ben Luna Podcast, or just Google Tom Figgins Music. I'm his biggest fan and recommend him to everyone I meet. <laughs> um, a big thank you to everyone who has left a review on Apple Podcasts. They are lovely and mean the world to us. Seriously, I appreciate them so, so much. If you have Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, why not say hi? We love interacting with the people who listen and social media is the best way to do that. We're at Ben Luna Podcast on most platforms. For inquiries, you can email benlunapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening and for being so brilliant. See you in episode six.